0: Warning. There will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss the 2011 remake of Fright Night. sebastian and i'm here with jennifer hello and once again rodney uh i'm not gonna say special guest rodney anymore because you're a semi-regular host
1: thank you yeah it's 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 good to be back once again i love joining you guys i'm taking away your guest privileges what do they call like on a TV show? The character that like, pops up frequently, but not good enough to not in the opening credits.
0: Special guest star.
2: It is special guest star. That's what it would say, like on 90210 or, or right. no, it was uh, Heather Locklear on Melrose Place was always like guest special guest star or something right. like that in the credits. Wait,
1: really? I thought
0: Heather, Heather Locklear was like one of the main cast. She ended up being in the, one of the cast. But like yeah, you sort of start off as like special guest star and then you're in the cast. Not that we need to get into the uh, technicalities.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Are we not here to talk about that show? That's what I watched in preparation.
0: No, we're here (laughs) to talk about the 2011 Fright Night remake.
1: Oh yeah, Fright Night. Fright Night.
0: That's how it's uh, said in the original. (laughs) Rodney, are you a fan of the 1985 Fright
1: Night? I am probably one of the biggest fans you know. I fucking love Fright Night.
0: I am also a fan of the movie. I saw it in the theater. I was fortunate enough to see it in the theater as a teenager, and I loved it back then. Jen, what is your history with the original Fright Night?
2: I uh, also am a fan of the original Fright Night. I did not see it in the theater because I would have been, unfortunately, too young to see it in the theater. But I think my first experience with it was on VHS.
0: For those who don't know, the original 1985 Fright Night was written and directed by Tom Holland. Not to be confused with the young actor who portrays Spider-Man in the Marvel uh, Universe. Uh, it is a different Tom Holland, uh, considerably older. He uh, was a writer, director. Um, I think he was involved in Psycho Two. Well, you think he wrote it, which was actually a pretty good movie. He ended up doing mm-hmm. um, a sequel to Fright Night and a bunch of other stuff, but Fright Night was kind of his big thing, and it was a pretty big hit for in the mid eighties as far as uh, like horror comedies go. It was it was a pretty pretty big deal, as I recall. So, you know, the idea of remaking it. Uh, in 2011 seemed to make a lot of sense because we're sort of coming off the remake craze of the aughts. And, you know, the original Fright Night had been a big hit, so why shouldn't this one be? Let's get some stars and make it a big blockbuster. And it did not work out. It did not do well. Now, I um, ended up seeing this at an advanced screening because... I was fortunate enough to attend with last week's co-host, Josh Miller. He had um, screening, he had passes to a screening at the time. And so we saw it together uh, and it was in 3D. And um, I don't know if you remember when this movie came out, but the 3D was kind of a big deal A bit Like they were really, I think they shot it in real 3D and they were promoting it in 3D. Rodney, did you see the 2011 Fright Night when it came out?
1: I did. I went and saw it. I'm pretty sure it was in IMAX 3D. Because I, I'm a big 3D fan, and I was, I was stoked for this. Jen, did you see this in the
0: theater when it came out?
2: I did see it in the theater. I don't think I saw it in 3D though. I'm, I'm not a, a super 3D fan. Boo hiss. But I did see um, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw. Or was it? Just, what was it called? Leatherface? No, I can't remember. What was the the three? Was it just called Texas
1: Chainsaw 3D?
0: Yes, we saw that one.
2: We did see that in 3D.
0: Yeah, that was a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at the time, the 3D element was kind of, sort of hyped, and watching the movie again, it uh, you definitely notice all the like places where. You're supposed to be getting some sort Mm -hmm. of 3D benefit, and you don't really get in it anymore because nobody has 3D TVs or anything anymore. It's basically dead until James Cameron, I guess, is going to resurrect it again, but we'll see.
1: I hope so. I still have my 3D TV. Oh, do you? Yeah. I I mean, it's cool if you have one. I think it's fun to watch them. But I I get why people don't like it, and and, I don't know. I wish there was just one person or one company that still made a couple so I could, like, update, you know? But whatever. Again, with Fright Night, they planned it to be 3D. And I think that's, I I don't know if they shot with 3D cameras or not, but that is crucial to it working, right? Right. And and so I I know we're not here to talk about the 3D of it, but I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, the 3D is pretty impressive here.
0: Yeah, it's well utilized. And you're right, it's all about planning. And the person that planned it was a director named Craig Gillespie, who is actually a director of note. Um, Before this, he did the movie Lars and the Real Girl. And after this movie, he did I, Tanya. So he's, you know, he's done some stuff. And this was written by Marty Noxon, who is uh, a writer, who was a writer on the Buffy, uh, the mm-hmm. vampire series. She was, I think she came on in some of the later seasons, but a lot of some of the best Buffy episodes have been credited to her. So she sort of had teenage vampire cred to
1: uh, write this movie
0: we won't get into our feelings on the 2011 fright night i say we just get into the movie what do you guys say
1: you don't mean to talk about my feelings at all
0: (laughs) i want to get into your feelings as we go because i think this will be interesting
1: all right let's do it i know
0: you're not a fan of remakes I, th- I know you've got a real, like, hard-on against remakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, can you have a hard-on hard, a- hard, hard on oh, against, against something? <laughs> <laughs> but, but if so, I do, yes.
0: So uh, now the st- basic story structure of this is very similar to the Tom Holland original, so much so that he actually gets a writing credit on it because they basically just took the plot, more or less from his original. But I think there are some key updates here that make this an interesting movie. First of all, one thing I really like about this movie is that it it takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada, whereas the original just sort of takes place in a generic suburb. They make a point of Las Vegas, and it actually really plays in well to the movie in a lot of ways. For one thing, as our lead character Charlie Brewster points out, played by the late Anton Yelchin, an actor I really, really like and I'm mm-hmm. really, really sad he's gone so soon. He, you know, explains at one point that, you know, it's first of all, it's a city of transients where people come in and go really quickly. Second of all, a lot of people work on the strip at night, so there are a lot of houses with blacked out windows, which of course is perfect for a vampire. Jen, I know you're a fan of Anton Yelchin, right?
2: Huge fan. Yeah, I, I I love everything that he was in, and feel you know feel the same way that you do. He's gone way too soon. It was super super sad when he died. Um, but yeah, I think I I was psyched that he was gonna be in this, and um, I think he's a great Charlie Brewster.
1: Look, I'm not a, I'm I, nothing against him. I think he's good in all the things he's in, but I don't show up because Anton Yelchin is in the movie. He's always been the, like, you got that guy. Okay, that's fine. Like, he's, I think he's, like, okay in Star Trek. he I mean, Green Room is fantastic, but it's not because Anton Yelchin's in it. And he does a fine Charlie Brewster. Yeah, like, he's good for the movie. I have nothing against him.
0: How do you feel about setting the movie in Las Vegas?
1: I have mixed feelings about it. Like, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter, right? Like, I get why they do it, but there's just something about the way the the neighborhood is laid out and the way the movie sprawls out that, like, It feels less like a horror movie. I I can't really put my finger on it. I guess ultimately I would prefer it had not been in Las Vegas.
0: See, I think it's great that it's in Las Vegas because it's a unique setting to a horror movie. And I think they actually play with the sort of generic location well. Like I feel kind of like lost and I don't feel safe in Las Vegas. Like it's a place where I've gone and I definitely don't. Gives me a weird feeling. I think it's an interesting place to set a horror movie. I think that the original did the whole generic suburban thing, and this is sort of like, I I feel like, an update of that, which I think is kind of more relatable to people now, because it's a specific place, and it's not just... I feel like the whole idea of the generic suburbs doesn't really exist anymore. Like, suburbs aren't really... This generic in the same way.
1: I mean, you make a really good point, and I will agree that it is interesting, right? I just can't help that when I'm watching it, there's this part of my brain that says, I wish we weren't in Las Vegas.
2: I actually, I do like that it's in Las Vegas, and I like, um, because...
1: Fine, fine. You all like it, all right? I'm out of here. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Everyone likes it, but Rodney.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, maybe Las Vegas isn't so great. I meant, right, Rodney? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. They
1: could have done better. I
0: think objectively we can all agree that Las Vegas isn't so great. I am not a huge fan of Las Vegas. Sure,
2: but I think that um, because of the the points that you brought up, Sebastian, that that, um, Charlie Brewster says, I think it's perfect for a vampire. Absolutely.
0: And they use it. Like, yeah. it's not just like, oh, it's in Las Vegas, who cares, it could be anywhere. No, this actually matters that it's in Las Vegas for several reasons. No, it's
2: part of the plot, but it's like, it's it's also, I, I appreciate that it takes place in Las Vegas, but it's in the, like, it's off the strip in the suburbs. Like, yeah. you're still getting suburban, like, kind of, it's random track home type scene, you know, remote, but it's like, I mean, it's, it's close to the strip still, you know? So it's a different thing, like a different view of Las Vegas.
0: It almost has that poltergeist vibe in a way and just the way it looks, you know, that sort of the really super generic, these suburbs have no flavor at all, you know?
1: I think maybe it's just that like, I don't want to live there and therefore that's rubbing off on me, you know what I mean? But (laughs) in terms of where a vampire should do business that, that kind of neighborhood makes a lot of sense.
0: So we meet Charlie and our, the first scene that we meet him in, he is sort of trying to, he's got this motorbike that he's trying to get to run, but he can't really get it to run. His uh, sexy, uh, exotic dancer neighbor comes out and says hello to him. You know, and he explains that the the bike doesn't have any huevos, which um, <laughs> I think is cool teenage vernacular. I'm sure they all really say that, all the teens. <laughs> and then we meet uh, his mom, played by Tony Collette, who is probably one of my favorite actors uh anywhere anytime i always love to see her i wouldn't say she's particularly well utilized in this movie you know this isn't a hereditary level performance but like as a cute mom she totally works um and she's a real estate agent And we sort of get our first um, setup of the next door neighbor vampire because his front yard is messy and annoying. I should also say there's a scene, an opening scene that I forgot to mention. Oh, yeah. We see a teenage kid in his home. His family is dead and he's being menaced by some sort of, you know, evil force. And he hides under a bed and gets a gun and then the things, you know, whatever's trying to get at him flips up the bed and it's fine it's sort of a you know stinger intro uh
2: i like it i i like that it's completely different from the original as far as like how we're getting started and i mean i think it's important later as to what we find out that's going on in the film and and who that person was yes so um yeah, I, I I like the way that it opens, and I love Tony Collette also, and she's she's great. I'm happy to see her in anything.
0: So uh, Rodney, why do you hate Tony Collette so much? <laughs>
1: <laughs> How much time do we have?
2: <laughs> I
1: no, I'm with you. Tony Collette is awesome. Like she is a phenomenal actress. I agree that like while she's in a lot of the movie, she doesn't really have a lot to do. No, uh, and then she kind of just disappears from the second half. Yes. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, hey, she's really good. And the opening scene, I think I think it's like serviceable. Like, it's a good horror movie. Like, I'm never going to show that to someone and be like, yo, how great is this opening scene? Like, it's no. not like the opening of Scream or Cliffhanger or Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship. Dude, Go people, Ghost Ship's opening. Is considered one of the best. Right? I agree with you, and it's a really good open. I do agree with you on Ghost Ship. I'm not, I just think it's funny that, that it's you a sub- brought up Ghost yeah. Ship. <laughs> you no, know, it's that's like the only good part of Ghost Ship. But yeah, I mean, like you, they, you know, you gotta you open the movie with a kill. You see that there, it's clearly a vampire because why else have you bought a ticket, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, it does seem sort of a little silly to try to tease out the fact that it's a vampire. But I mean, mm-hmm. they're really just trying to tease out who the vampire is, not so much that it's a vampire.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And it's good they do, because the marketing really doesn't tell you at all who the vampire is. Yeah, right.
0: The marketing (laughs) told everyone who the... Well, because the marketing was kind of selling it on the vampire, because the vampire is played by sexy, sexy Colin Farrell. But we'll get to that in a second. So basically what we learn here is that Charlie is sort of transitioning from being a high school dork to being a cool guy. Because... He's got this hot girlfriend now named Amy, played by Imogen Poots, who was in like one of the 28 Days Later sequels. Since then, she's shown up in tons of horror. She's kind of like a horror movie person at this point. I feel like she's in a ton of horror movies. So she's his cool, hot girlfriend, and he's not hanging out anymore with his nerdy friend, Evil Ed, who we will meet in a moment. But so we sort of get this set up that now he's hanging out with her. He goes to school and sort of hangs out with her cooler dude friends, one of whom is played by Dave Franco. They have like a funny little exchange about Charlie's sneakers because they're poose colored, um, which is a, you know, not necessarily super masculine color, but he gets sort of props for rocking that. And, uh, yeah, and so it's sort of this establishment of, like, now he he used to be a dweeb, but now he's cool, which I thought was a really pretty good setup for a character. Like, I felt like that was something that I could remember from high school and sort of relate to in some ways.
1: Yeah, I had, like, look, I, I think a lot of this, matter what I say is coming from a place of I love the original, and so everything they changed or got wrong is hard for me, right? It's very hard for me, and I feel uncomfortable talking about it. (laughs) But this this change to Charlie Brewster. I don't mind it. Like, sure. I I think the problem is like it doesn't really help or do anything like he could just be a cool kid. The only thing it does is like, oh, he used to hang out with evil Ed, but now he doesn't. But it's just sort of an unnecessary thing, right? It's an unnecessary plot point in my book.
2: I don't think so. I actually think that it is because it kind of trust me, I love 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 the original Rodney so I, I I'm not I'm coming from a place of love with this um I feel like this gives more um depth to like what's going on with Evil Ed like this is more like gives more of a backstory, or you know of what's to come like more there's you know more that's going to happen between Charlie and Evil Ed but like now they've got like this conflict going on because a very relatable thing is like, Charlie's now cool. He's too cool to hang out with his like cosplay friends, you know, and, and, um, they were, you know, and, and that, I think is just, is kind of what Sebastian said too. It's like, it's such a good thing to touch on, especially within teens, because this is something, this, this is the time where that type of thing happens, where all of a sudden, oh, it's not cool to, dress up and shoot ourselves on on video, like making little, you know, movies or whatever. I mean, we get more of that backstory later, but like it's
1: Jen, it's, it's not cool to shoot yourself on video. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see unfriended?
2: (laughs) Um, No, but it's, you know, it's just kind of like when all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're supposed to be like chasing after, you know, actually going out with girls now or like trying to make that happen or whatever. It's that weird transition, like stuff that I don't know. I think that I think that's real to high school.
0: I think it's a significant improvement on the original because yeah. in the original God. significant, actually, I think it's a much better <laughs> written Because in the original, you have Charlie, and he's making out with his girlfriend, and he's got this friend, Ed, who's a weirdo, but we don't really – like, they're sort of implied that he doesn't really hang out with Ed anymore. I feel like this takes that idea and then deepens it so that we actually have some sort of understanding as to what the dynamics between these people are. Where I feel like in the original, you're just sort of introduced to these characters, and I guess you assume – that evil Ed is a weirdo, and that he doesn't want to hang out with him. But you don't really know that, and I feel like this clarifies things. I feel like it's implied in the original, but not explored. And I think in this version, you get much more clear character dynamics, and you sort of get what's going on.
2: Well, and I think you get in the uh, in the original, like y- yes, it just is showing evil Ed is this kind of this this like kooky dude, but in this, like I don't feel like this version of evil Ed is a weirdo at all. I feel like he's just like, he's just at a different place.
1: Yeah. He's just hasn't matured. All right. Let me just say it. Okay. I hate evil Ed in this
2: movie. (laughs) I hate
1: everything about him. I hate the storyline. There's a lot of things I like in this movie, (laughs) but I I hate every moment with, with, uh, I, I don't even mind that actor. I like him a lot of things. Christopher Mintz plots. Thank you. He is dramatically miscast. He is in the wrong film. And I cringe every time he opens his mouth in this movie. All right? I'll, I will give
0: you this. I don't like him as much as Evil Ed in the original. Stephen Jeffrey's performance in the original is so bizarre that, it, and it's so sort of iconic in its own way. I can see bristling to this version because it's kind of a more grounded, not serious because he's really a comedic character, but... It doesn't have that just out there insanity of the original because Stephen Jeffries just seems like a friggin' freak. But like I think that for this movie it fits and it works. It's kind of on the nose casting because Christopher Mintz Plots was was famous for playing McLovin in uh Superbad. Super, Super bad. bad. Yeah. Right. Everybody just basically calls him McLovin, which I'm gonna try not to do because I feel like that's a joke that's been way too uh, beaten into the ground. Uh, But, you know, I'll give you this. He's not as interesting and as weird as Stephen Jeffries.
2: And I I would agree with you, uh, with that, Sebastian. Um, But I give more of a shit about this evil Ed. Like, I don't really care what happens to evil Ed in their original Fright Night. I enjoy, like, watching him because he's just, like, he's mesmerizing and just, like, such a weirdo. Yeah. But I I give more of a shit about... Chris, Christopher menz version of Evil Ed.
0: I do not understand what the hell is going on with the original Evil Ed. Like, I what is he? I don't know what he is. He's just a weirdo. Like, he I don't know if he's liked or disliked or what. He's just strange. Whereas this Evil Ed, I get who he is. I can place him in a high school social structure, whereas the original Evil Ed, I can't. But basically what happens here is... um. Evil Ed sort of corners Charlie in school, and he's trying to convince him that one of their other nerd friends, Adam, has been missing. And Adam is the character that we saw in the opening sequence. And he wants Charlie's help checking it out. But Charlie doesn't want to deal with Ed anymore because he's cooler now. So Ed basically has to resort to blackmail, and he's going to tell his new cool friends about the dorky things that they used to do. And one of the dorky things that they used to do is they used to like dress up in these cosplay costumes, and uh, the character that uh, Charlie was playing was Squid Man. And at one point, Ed's like, "I'm gonna tell them about how you took my Stretch Armstrong <laughs> and wrapped it around your balls and like jerked off or whatever." So, you know, he's got some serious, uh, he's got some serious leverage on Charlie. So Charlie basically agrees that he's going to, you know, help out Ed or he's going to go check out uh, Adam's home.
1: Yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I just think it moves too quickly. Like, I think I don't like how, like, right from the start, Evil Ed just comes up to him. The first time I ever meet this dude, he's like, there's a vampire in town and I'm hunting him and I've got proof and, and you got to believe yeah. me, right? And also... Like, as we find out later, he has fucking video proof. But right. how come he doesn't say, hey, Charlie, let me show you my video proof about a vampire? Like, that kind of shit really bugs me, right? It's sloppy writing. And so you're just throwing me into this plot. Like By like eight minutes into the movie, they're hunting for vampires. I like I like that part at the beginning where like the, the main character doesn't know there's a vampire. He doesn't even suspect it. He starts to come to it on his own as opposed to Evil Edge just walking up to him and being like, I know everything about vampires, right? I don't know. It just, it just bugs me, man. It just bugs me. It bugged me nine, eight, ten 10 years ago when I saw it in the theater and it bugged me the other night when I watched it again.
0: Yeah. It doesn't bug me because we, <laughs> Obviously need, we need to get moving here. I mean, <laughs> I feel like, you know, you could do the whole setup again where he's making out with the girl and stuff and then sees Jerry doing vampire stuff, but. I This way we get Ed sort of incorporated into the story rather
1: than he's just there. I don't mean to I don't I do mean to argue, right? <laughs> I want you to argue. It, ar- it worked in, in 1985, right? It worked. The movie was a success. They made a sequel off of it. If you're going to remake it, why don't you just fucking stick to the formula? It already worked. Why are you messing with it? And I I, know how I know I'm right because it didn't do well. They've messed with the formula and it tasted wrong and people were like, I don't like it.
0: I don't think that's why it didn't do well, but we'll get to that. We do that part at the end. I know. I don't (laughs) think that's why. I don't think it was because, oh, they should have stuck to the brilliant formula of the 1985 Fright Night. I think it all had to do with the time and what was going on. In pop culture, which was what worked against this, but we will get the original
1: is an homage to communism, right, Seb?
0: The original is obviously a take on Rear Window. It's Rear Window with a Vampire. And we've seen the whole Rear Window formula done a lot. Like we saw it with Disturbia, which was a similar sort of like teenagers doing Rear Window. I mean, I also think like that movie had been sort of recent in memory at the time of Mm -hmm. 2011. So it's like you don't want to just do exactly what that movie did because that's what most of the young people that would be going to see this movie would have seen that movie. And they would have been like, why are they ripping off Disturbia? Even, you know, obviously they don't know the original Fright Night or the original Rear Window or anything like that. So I think there's some logic as to why they don't play th- things out exactly the way they did in the original But I think they pretty much, I mean, it's not that big of a difference, really. I mean, they're just trying to get Ed into the story. I do think it's weird that they get him into the story and then basically take him out
1: until the end. That's what I'm saying. The pacing of the first 30 minutes is really weird to me. There's a
0: lot in the first 30 minutes and there's a lot in the last 30 minutes. So it feels a little weirdly unbalanced that way. I agree.
2: I agree with that too. And I do like that we do get right into it, but I agree with Rodney that and this always frustrates me as well is like you had evidence. Like that would have been the key. Like you had video. Yeah. So like that would have been like and I know it's just a it's a a, a thing to do for plot to like make Yeah,
1: it. it's a way to up the stakes as
2: it sure. goes. But that is but it is frustrating. I think my
1: neighbor's a serial killer. What makes you say so? Well I'm gonna tell you that it's I saw some panties in the garbage can. But <laughs> I think I forgot to mention that I videotaped him murdering a prostitute.
2: Uh, you'll discover it later after I disappear on my God Yeah, don't worry. I left it there for you to find
1: <laughs> with a note that says, I told you so.
0: So um, Charlie goes home with his uh, after school with his girlfriend and hangs out with his mother. And here's where uh, we get introduced to our vampire, Jerry Dandridge played by Colin Farrell. He's their new neighbor, and um, Mom is obviously kind of into him. He's being sort of helpful and kind of working-class studly around her. Now, I like Colin Farrell a lot as an actor. He doesn't always work well for me, but I actually love Colin Farrell in this, and I think this is one of his best performances for me personally. Um, I know he's done better work, but... I think he's fucking great in this movie, and I think he's like the perfect dude to be this kind of vampire.
1: I'm gonna tell you, on this point, we agree. This... Oh my god, what? I was not
0: expecting that.
1: I- I'm not Whoa. gonna say I don't think th- I don't think this is his best performance. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. I mean, not technically.
1: There are things I prefer about the original Jerry Dandridge, but like. Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell does a really good job with this. He makes it a really interesting, he's a really watchable character. Yeah. Uh and he's for for my money, he's what makes the movie watchable. If he if it if it wasn't him, I think this movie would be a complete failure. But he's he's really good.
2: I love him. I think he's so great. I mean I'm, I'm a fan of him in general, um but I think he just does this so well. I think he's really he's got really good comedic timing and just like he's just his mannerisms and everything he's just I, I i i agree he's so watchable and he's just um he's just so much fun in this and i think he's a perfect jerry next door neighbor vampire he's just yeah
0: i would argue like first of all i love that the the vampire's name is jerry, jerry. And th- this is made fun of several times in the movie to good effect like a vampire named jerry <laughs> I mean, and the characters obviously named that because that was the name of the character in the original played by Chris Sarandon. I also love Chris Sarandon's Jerry Dandridge. I think they're just different Jerry Dandridges to me. It's like completely different takes on a vampire character. I love them both for what they are. But I feel like Chris Sarandon made more sense as a Jerry Dandridge because he was playing it kind of more like he's a yuppie or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this Jerry, this guy seems more like a, I don't know, like a... Tom Dandridge or something. He's more like working class and sort of gets dirty. He wears like tank tops or T-shirts and jeans. I'm going to be honest. Like, when I saw this movie, I was like, God, I wish I could rock the fucking Colin Farrell and Fright Night look because, like, he's usually just wearing, like, t shirts and jeans, but he looks so fucking good, like, all the time.
1: Out of the three of us, you're the one who was staring at Colin the Hard. <laughs> I'm
0: totally hot for him in this movie. I won't, I'm not going to deny it at all. Like, I,
1: I. At uh, 36 minutes, there's this part where he licks his lips and it's just, he's so oh good in that God. moment. <laughs> No, but there is
0: a scene where I'm like, my
1: knees are getting weak, but we'll get to that.
0: <laughs> we meet Jerry, and meanwhile, uh, Ed is at uh, Adam's house waiting for Charlie. He gets pissed, so he sends an incriminating like text photo of Charlie dressed up as Squid Man. So Charlie like bolts. He goes to the house, and he and Ed break in. And, you know, it's basically just a scene where they're going through the house looking for evidence that Adam was killed by a vampire. Of course, there is no such evidence. But um, really what it is, is to sort of establish the dynamic between Ed and and Charlie and how, you know, uh, Charlie has changed. And, you know, he's giving Ed a hard time about how he's, you know, still a dork and he's reading too much Twilight or whatever, which I think is, you know, obviously this dates the movie because Twilight was a big thing, but I think it's important to consider how big Twilight was at this moment. You know, Charlie basically puts down Ed by saying like his life got better once they stopped being friends. So it's, you know, kind of a, you know, it's kind of a sick burn. And like, honestly, you know, I don't think this scene is like amazing or anything, but there are moments in it which I really feel are actually – they hearkened back to high school to me in sort of an uncomfortable uh, way, but in a good way.
1: Did it remind you of when you were in high school and how no one believed you your neighbor was a vampire?
0: <laughs> that did happen, yes. <laughs> My neighbor was a werewolf, not a vampire.
1: Come on. Um, I, I, I agree. This scene – this scene it works because it does I do feel like they used to be friends and he's there helping Evil Ed because not it's like part because of the photograph, but also because he kinda wants to there's like a part of him that I still misses being friends with him, I think. But yeah. I can I will agree with that. This one part for the the Evil Ed Charlie storyline worked for me.
2: Yeah, no, I I also I mean I, I think like I said earlier, I think a, a lot of the stuff that's going on between evil ed and charlie is is an ad- addition to the film in, in a good way and it's like it, i i mean and it's probably because of the the screenwriter you know doing uh buffy and angel i think too before it's like you know you have to really be able to understand teenagers and their drama and i, I just this this feels very real what's going on between them
0: and like you know in the next scene basically charlie you know It tells Ed that he's better off without him. So Ed goes running off and, you know, on the way home, he gets bullied by Dave Franco. And so then he runs off to escape Dave Franco and he ends up in this sort of creepy abandoned home. And then Jerry comes out to confront him because Jerry has realizes that Ed has been watching him and he's been watching Ed and he knows that Ed is on to him. And so they have this sort of, you know, a little action chase scene where he ends up chasing Ed into a pool and, you know, Ed's prepared to be attacked by a vampire. So he's got like a crucifix or whatever. But Jerry basically says to Ed, you don't fit in here. You you know, like, why are you trying to hold on to this life? Like, just let me turn you into a vampire and everything's going to get so much better and it's a gift and stuff. And like, I buy it. I buy that like this kid would be like, you know what? You're right. I do want to fucking be a vampire, not be a fucking loser anymore.
2: Yeah, I I think especially because he's, you know, not friends with Charlie anymore and Adam is most likely dead. Um, those were his only two friends. So, you know, and he's being picked on and yeah, like, why not?
0: If I was a bullied teenager in high school and a fucking cool-ass vampire came to me and was like, hey, I'll make you a fucking cool vampire, like, I would have taken it. No fucking doubt.
1: Let me ask you this question. Say you were just in the swimming pool and Colin Farrell just wanted to nibble on your <laughs> neck. I would go for it. Are you kidding me? I would, would 100% go for it. If
0: I could be in a swimming pool with Colin Farrell, Ewan McGregor, and uh, Daniel, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. Like, it would be on, let
1: me tell you that much. Yeah, that that does sound like a good time. (laughs) Here's the thing. Here's what bothers me about this, right? In the original, oh my God, I'm like pushing my glasses up as I say that. In the original. (laughs) But in the original, Jerry Dandridge turns Evil Ed into a vampire because it's like an act of aggression against Charlie for his prying, right? He's like, I'm going to slowly take things away from you. Yeah. But in this movie... I there is no reason. Like, what I'm saying is we've seen Jerry Dandridge the vampire just murdering people left and right. He murders his family at the beginning. Every time he grabs someone, he just turns into a vampire and like rips their throat open. So why is he like offering this seductive th- offer to evil Ed? That doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It kind of in the original it's yeah, to get it, Charlie. And at this point, in this version, Charlie hasn't proven himself as a threat. So the scene is more about a different thing. It's more about letting a nerd
1: get out of his fucking shitty situation. I guess what I've been saying for like an hour straight now is that (laughs) if there were more of Evil Ed as a teenage boy, if this scene came later in the movie, it would feel better, right? Because you would would grow to care about him. But like he's literally a human being for like seven minutes of screen time. Like he's in two scenes and then he's going to turn into a vampire by Jerry Dandridge. And you're like, Oh, I remember sitting in the theater being like, Oh, this is happening like really quickly. Okay. I guess we're going to get to see evil Ed a lot more as a vampire. Wrong. Fuck you, Rodney. You don't get that either.
0: I guess what I'm saying is despite that, the moment still works for me. Sure. Sure. Basically just because I feel Ed is a shorthand of like, this type of person like we all know this type of person or we've been this type of person
2: no I I I see what both of you are saying I I agree I think this the scene is good I hear what Rodney's saying as well Um, but I do think that in order to light a fire under Charlie's ass we have to lose that
0: I feel that the scenes work in both movies because they're doing different things. Like in it's like Rodney said in the original it's working because he's using Ed against Charlie and here I feel like it's working because we're establishing that this kid feels alone and so he's going to embrace this horrible evil that he's trying to stop. Like but I do agree with rodney it does come soon and could have been better if it if we'd gotten more
2: yeah it does come soon and it's even though i like the seduction from jerry it's not like it doesn't really make sense because he's he's irritated with ed for spying on him so right. why is he going to you know try to seduce him into becoming a vampire because he's going he's gonna, he's gonna He's going to kill him regardless. Like he's not because he's got the he's got the crucifix, but he's like, that doesn't work unless you believe.
0: So, yeah, then we get a scene where Charlie is feeling sort of bad about rejecting Ed and he's watching old videos of h- him and Ed and uh, Adam, Adam playing in the yard, playing dress up. And, you know, they've got they're you know, dressing up as these goofy characters and sword fighting and stuff. And so Charlie decides that like he's gonna look into this um he goes to school and finds out that now ed is missing so now this is sort of like you know getting charlie as jen said into action he goes to ed's home and is greeted by ed's mom played by lisa Loeb. really mm-hmm. yes. i did not know that okay jen pointed that out she because she was like oh my god and i was like oh who's that
2: and, i remember i mean i remember when i saw i had seen it before but i forgot that she was in it but yeah who doesn't want to? It it's only Lisa for Logue. like a second i know but-, but she's adorable
0: yeah so and then this is the part where rodney was talking about where he basically charlie goes up to ed's room and looks on his laptop and he finds these recordings that ed and adam have done where they're spying on jerry and they, we basically see, like, a wheelbarrow being pushed into the dumpster or whatever. And there's nobody there to push it in there. They have video proof that this person is a vampire. Now, in fairness to not using this as a smoking gun sort of thing early on in the movie, it could have been faked. I mean, it's not like if somebody came to you with a video like that, you'd be like, dude, it's a vampire. You'd be like... Yes, I am 100% convinced this is a vampire and not some sort of special effects thing
1: or what. Wow, you you're you're a doubter, huh? You don't you don't doubt defend yourself, Rodney. Have you ever Deep
2: fakes, deep fakes. Yeah, have you ever heard of deep fake
1: technology, Rodney? <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. Have you seen Do you know who David Blaine is, huh? He, he goes right up to people and just, like, makes coins disappear.
0: Well, you know, we have
1: a, a stage magician in this movie, so. No, that's yeah. true. Oh, look at that. That was not intentional. Uh, look, I agree <laughs> that, obviously, if you show that to any cop be like, look, it's a vampire, they'll be like, it's clearly just, like, a goofy video. I get yeah. that, but the fact that he didn't show it to him and the fact that he never uses this video or takes the laptop or uses it to prove anything to anyone is kind of stupid. You know what's more convincing than the video? Just telling people my neighbor is a vampire—that always does it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, so this basically convinces Charlie that there there's something weird going on with Jerry. So Charlie goes home, and here is where we get, I feel, the best scene in the movie is. He goes home, and Jerry's kind of, like, hanging around the yard, and he sees Charlie. It's sort of set up, even from the beginning, that Jerry is kind of expecting Charlie to figure him out or something. Like, there's lots of moments in the movie where you think that Jerry doesn't know what's going on, but Jerry really does know what's going on. He's basically... You know, I'm hanging around uh, by the yard and he asks Charlie he says he's got a date coming over you know the date being the cute uh, exotic dancer that lives next door she's and a go-go he, dancer and he asks to. he says he's out of beer so he wants to borrow a sixer from Charlie and you know the whole intention here is for him to get invited in because you know of course a vampire rule that is established uh, early on in this movie is that you have to be invited in. And so there's this scene where Colin Farrell is sort of hovering at the, the, the back door waiting for Charlie to say like, Oh, come on in and just grab a beer. But Charlie now suspects him of being a vampire and he knows vampire rules. So he's not letting him in. And so Colin Farrell is doing this thing where he's kind of like looking around and sort of sniffing and stuff and he's just – his performance in this scene is, like, the best part of the movie, I feel. And, you know, he he's sort of, like, cluing in that Charlie now suspects him as being a vampire. and Like, Charlie gets nervous and drops a beer, so he ends up just giving Colin Farrell five beers. And then Colin Farrell does this great, creepy sort of monologue about – the women in Charlie's life and like how he's got a man, like when the woman like that needs to be managed and like he starts talking about Charlie's mom and how there's this scent about her that, you know, Oh, I know your mom, your dad left you, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. A woman like that. She's got a scent about her. You can smell it. And then he starts talking about Charlie's girlfriend and telling him that he's, that she's ripe. Like it's super fucking creepy and it's so fucking good. I love the scene. Like this scene makes the movie for me. Disagree with me, Rodney.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not quite as passionate about the scene as you appear to be, but who could be? <laughs> 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 but the scene is great. Um I will say that like I I I know it's a different take on on him. I just wish I wish there was like a little bit more of him trying to be friends with Charlie in in the beginning of the movie. Like they barely talked. This is the first time they He comes over while he's, like, repairing his motorcycle or whatever. But, like, I guess what I'm saying is things ramp up very quickly between the two of them, right? Yeah. But this scene is very good, and he's very creepy. Uh, I love the way he hovers at the door. You know, like, I have – this is a good scene. Basically, most of the scenes with Colin Farrell when he's just being, like, a normal guy are pretty good. But I I also hated it, Sebastian. I fucking (laughs) hated this scene.
2: (laughs) I love this scene. I love love how – Colin Farrell, appro- like approaches him, he just kind of comes out, you know, he's like, and he says, hey, guy, like, yeah. it's just, hey, guys. It's, it's the hey way guy, he people. it's people. Yeah. so, so he's such like his all of his mannerisms and like, just at like doing doing the most at once and just being like, borderline creep, Jerry, um, And then going into super creep jerry when he's talking about uh tony collette and um and his Imogen, like just that whole thing it it, yeah it's just well because he also starts with he doesn't say who the girl is but he's like i got this girl coming over and she's like you know it's just the type of girl that you really have to like manage and or you have to like yeah, she's she's oh you have to she's like she, he's just saying that like she's out of hand or something like that and you know that type of woman and yeah it's just so weird and creepy and and yeah with the whole like he's just literally like tap, tapping around like outside of the door like out right outside the door frame like just like looking and this the way that they're shooting it and look you know it's just it's it's a great it feels like a dance like you know what's going and and Charlie's just completely freaked out and not having a poker face at all. And just like babbling on about how his mom kind of likes light domestic beer. And
0: And I think in fairness to comparing it to the original, it's basically the same amount of time in the original. Like Jerry in the original doesn't try to be Charlie's friend, really. He sees Charlie spying on him right away. Then he comes over and is there? it's basically a, this very similar scene where he comes over and he's hanging out with the mom. And she's like, oh, have you met Jerry? And like, and Jerry's being nice to Charlie, but it's all this coded, you know, it's the same. I feel like it's a very similar scene to the one in the original in the sense that it's like, yeah, the vampire's being nice to Charlie, but it's clearly not real. he's not really being nice. He's – you know, they're playing this sort of psychological game. And I think in this scene what we're getting is that Jerry sees that Charlie is the man of the house and he's trying to get to him – that like like hey i'm a man you're a man aren't we men you know and he's like he's basically sort of challenging his manhood but trying to do it in like a friendly hey i'm a bro type of way you know like so i mean i think in comparison to the original it's very similar but it's a different take on it whereas in the original he's just trying to be like i'm a, a cool
1: guy living next door you know <laughs> Yeah, all right. You're you're right. It's similar. It's similar.
2: Also, what we have both of us, all of us, forgot to mention is he also tries to take the approach because he does say, which you did bring up, Sebastian, that he does say like, "Oh, your dad split," you know, and and yeah. he's like, he says to to Charlie, he's like, "That's a lot for you know a, a young dude to have on his shoulders that you're having to like de- deal with your mom stuff and you've got this girlfriend and you know you just like he kind of is kind of trying to be a little seductive with like you know like being empathetic or in a way but that I don't know
0: he's trying to be like a bro to him but he's yeah. so fucking creepy that it's like no you're not <laughs> my bro you're scary but he, he I feel like Jerry's trying to relate to Charlie so he, that he can get in and
1: basically kill him here here's i think the key difference which is like a minor thing but in the original, it's because he saw him or he suspects he's a vampire, right? And Jerry yeah. knows because he like looked out the window and saw him looking at him, right? Yeah. But in this movie, at this point, Jerry Dandridge has no reason to suspect that Charlie is like onto him or anything. So it just sort of comes across like... He's just literally like being aggressive to everyone in the neighborhood. He just wants to eat the whole fucking neighborhood.
0: Well, but I think he knows that Charlie was friends with Evil Ed and so I think he knows that Ed, that Charlie has been informed that he's probably He knows Yeah, things.
1: fair enough. He he just knows things because he's this fucking But nobody does because
0: he knew where Ed was like
2: He's a vampire, Rodney. He tells
0: Ed that he's been watching Ed, so it stands to reason that he's watching Charlie. I get the sense that he is on to Charlie before.
1: All right. He could have seen them like break into Adam's house together. Yes. Oh, I'll buy that. Sure. I'll, I'm going to give you a lot of leeway here in the first half of the movie, but be prepared. <laughs> You're not going to get any fucking leeway from me later.
2: The wrath of Rodney is coming. Mm-hmm. That's
1: its own horror movie. <laughs>
0: So then we get the scene that is basically taken right from the original where Charlie and Amy are hanging out in his bedroom and Amy wants to have sex with him basically at this point. It's a little different in the original. In the original, she doesn't really, there's sort of this, she doesn't really want to, but then she does, you know, in the original, Charlie is way more sort of horny. And in this one, they temper that because he's now distracted by Jerry too distracted to get down with his sexy new girlfriend plus I think it's implied that Charlie's a virgin so he might be a little bit nervous about the whole thing and Amy is often telling Charlie that he's nervous and needs to sort of loosen up but at this point he hears that his stripper neighbor is hanging out with Jerry outside and so he sort of looks outside and sees him um, recalling the original and then Amy gets pissed off and leaves
2: First of all, again, she's a go-go dancer.
0: Right, but Amy <laughs> says no. She's a she's a stripper.
2: No, she's a go-go dancer because she. What Imogen Amy says she goes because he looks outside. And he's like, oh no, not. Um, Doris. Doris. He's like, oh no, not Doris. He's he's with there with Doris and. And then Amy said, well, of course, he's hot and she's a stripper. They were bound to meet. And then Charlie's like, she's a go-go dancer. And then Amy says, well, there's two tiny pieces of cloth away from being a stripper or something like that. Anyway, whatever. But Okay.
0: So technically she is a go-go dancer. She's a go-go dancer. I wasn't sure if she was just saying she was a go-go dancer, but she was really a stripper or whatever. But Okay. Well, so she's not a stripper. Yes. Not that it matters. Strippers are people too. Hey,
2: she can do whatever she wants. They deserve love
0: just like everyone else.
2: That's right. But yeah, so he's, Amy gets upset because he's, you know, paying attention to what's going on outside the window. But we know that Charlie now knows that Jerry's going to eat her. So he's he's panicking.
0: And arguably, I'll give this to Rodney, it's not as effective as the original because the original is really just kind of doing the rear window thing. And I think at the time, you could get away with that kind of homage that hadn't been done very many times. I think at this point, we've seen it so many times that they sort of had to kind of... Play it a little bit differently, but you know the original is more iconic and effective.
2: Fine, give it to Rodney. Give it to give that one to Rodney. Well, apparently
0: we're going to have to be giving a lot to Rodney. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, I I got a piece of paper here. I'm keeping yeah <laughs> I'm keeping track.
0: So Charlie hears uh Doris screaming and he like calls nine one one, but Jerry is cool with the cops and they don't you know they're just like oh some kid uh and they walk away. And then uh, Jerry goes out or something, and Charlie sneaks into Jerry's house because he finds, like, the hide-a-key Jerry has under a rock. And he goes into uh, Jerry's house and, you know, sees all these sort of strange, anachronistic things in there. The most important plot-wise being this sort of tapestry or something that's got, like, a insignia on it. And he takes a picture of that. That'll be important to the plot. Then Jerry comes home and then Charlie hides in this closet and in the closet, there's sort of a secret door. And he finds out that there's kind of this whole uh, hidden section to the house where there's like a hallway and a bunch of rooms. And he hears that Doris is locked in one of the rooms, but Jerry's coming back. So Charlie has to go hide. Jerry comes in and feeds on Doris while Charlie is watching, sort of hiding and watching it's a pretty good scene just because it's you know this kid is watching and she can Doris can still see Charlie but but Jerry can't see Charlie so you get this sort of you know Charlie's watching and she's basically being drained by the vampire
2: well she also puts her finger up to her mouth as like as she's like Diane is like sh you know like does that because she they're like totally making eye contact
0: well and it's sort of established that he's sort of like this handyman type of yeah. guy so it's like you know, you can buy that he had built this creepy sort of addition onto his house or whatever. Um, in the original, it's like a big suburban house. It's kind of more like a haunted housey type of thing. But, you know, we're in Vegas, so that wouldn't really work here. So it, it's more like creepy back rooms and stuff like that rather than like gothic creepy.
2: Well, and it's established as you said they that's what uh so because somebody said i think it was might have been ed you know comments that his windows are blocked out uh yeah. blacked out and then that's when charlie's like so what he you know he works nights on the on the strip or whatever and 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 then uh, tony colette also said like he is a a, a contractor or something he mm-hmm. works at night and he has a truck and stuff and then he had that big dumpster in the driveway so it's it's you know it all makes sense that he was doing this building this creepy holding area and and would be able to do it.
1: Like yes, it is explained that he is like a handyman, he's been doing work on the house. But it really bumps me. There's like this like he like installed this long hallway full of like metal cells and then like not to jump ahead, but at the end when you find out like what's under the house, like How much fucking renovating did this dude do and, (laughs) and why? That's the thing I don't get. Why do I have to see that there's like a hallway of doors? Why doesn't he just capture one person at a time and like drink their blood? And then because it's explained, because he's planning to save them up and nibble on them. And yes, yes.
0: The type of vampire he is specifically his tribe of vampires. This is how they operate. They like to have a bunch of people around to sort of snack. He calls them snackers.
1: This falls into the category that I would classify as like, I'll buy it, but it's stupid. That's what I'm going to say. Like, yes, it is explained. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I do like this whole sequence of Charlie sneaking around the house. I think this is it's pretty tense. You know, it's a well done sequence throughout and obviously there's more to it that you're going to discuss
0: so basically charlie goes away i mean uh jerry goes away and charlie manages to break doris out of her cell with a paperclip or whatever and then so he's sneaking her out of the house and we get this sort of cat and mouse scene where jerry's eating an apple which is a callback to the original uh fright night because the character of jerry really loves apples in that movie Uh charlie's sneaking doris around the house while jerry's like watching reality tv or whatever but then you know he'll go to the refrigerator and they have to run into a different room and you know it's a it's sort of the suspenseful um will they be seen sequence but what we end up finding out is that I think Jerry totally knows what's going on and he's just fucking with them and letting them run around the house because it's by this point it's daylight. And as soon as Charlie gets out of the house and gets Doris out of the house, as soon as she's in the light, she basically explodes into ash because she's been, you know, turned enough into a vampire or whatever. To be now affected by vampire rules, and I thought this was a great moment. I remember seeing this for the first time and completely not expecting it, but like I had no idea that that was going to happen, and I thought it was a like a really fun twist that you're like oh shit (laughs) like
2: i like that moment too and it actually um i remember when i first saw it it made me jump and and it's still like even though i've seen this movie a handful of times now i still like even watching it today kind of was like oh shit you know i like made me like jump because it's so great because doris I was like leaning on him you know and she's like the last thing she says she's like thank you you know like yeah. and they step on the sun she explodes into ash and like some blood and guts a little bit too and then we just see jerry like smirking in the doorway you know like watching it all go down
0: he's smirking in the doorway and eating an apple i believe yeah so yeah yeah he's like he like knows he knows what was going on the whole time
1: no this part's cool i i think it's very it was very unexpected it's one of the few things that they do differently from the original that I applaud. You know, I have no like, I have no idea how long it takes to like become a vampire. I think it's kind of dumb that he was like there all night. Like, that's a long fucking time to be in the house.
0: Well, there's a scene where he sort of has fallen asleep on the ch- in a chair and wakes up when he. So it's it's implied that he he didn't like just run over there to the house after Amy left. He was still waiting around at home. So I think
1: it's implied that he actually waited pretty late. Sure. Again, I'll buy it. I am going to say one thing which holds true throughout the movie, and that is that the CG is pretty mediocre. The CG is one of the weaker elements of the movie. Although this time when I was watching,
0: I remember when I first saw it, it bugged me more. And certainly if you're a huge fan of the original, one of the great things about the original is there are some really fun makeup effects there's some really fun, practical puppets and stuff like that. It is a little hard as a fan of the original to see this update and to see the reliance on modern CG. It felt like a lot at this time, and this sort of applies to another movie that the three of us reviewed, Jennifer's Body. There was a lot of like CG monster mouthing, you know, like monsters would get Mm -hmm. like big mouths full of teeth that would open really wide. And so I remember being more annoyed with it at the time because I felt like it was everywhere. It's a step down from the original just because the original makeup effects were so much fun.
1: But I'm not not even comparing it to the original. It just looks really stupid when she like – CG like just evaporates into I don't know, it just doesn't look real. And, and like I understand it's a 3D effect so that like when you're watching in 3D, her body like bursts into the screen, you know? Yeah it's just stupid. It's just stupid. and it it takes me out of the movie.
2: I don't even mind her evaporating like that as far as the CG goes. What I I do think that the CG for me is like the worst part of this film. I love the film. But the the CG like takes me out of it throughout the movie Rodney and it's it's not it's not particularly when when Doris ev- evaporates or explodes or whatever but it's the it's the mouth thing
1: oh yeah I, I just didn't bring the mouth thing up yet but yes it basically all the CG in the movie is bad or mediocre
2: yeah it's, yeah it's just me it's just it's just a look that I don't like and I'm not even like coming down on the technology or whatever that you mean they had what they had but it was just that look that you just said sebastian as well it's like what i also i think that was a criticism i had for jennifer's body also was just like the mouth thing that they're doing i just i would rather just have a practical just vampire teeth just you know ripping into someone's skin and it doesn't even have to be that deep you know it's like but this whole Twenty-eight days later, type, rawr, type thing. I don't know. I don't know even know how to describe it. And I, and well, I
0: think though that they're trying to homage the original because in the original, you know, by the end, Jerry's turning into this crazy, exaggerated thing, and the vampire. You know, the uh, the Amy character turns into a vampire, and her face becomes this crazy, yeah. exaggerated makeup job which the, Amy in this movie, a very similar thing happens yes. to her. So I mean, I think they're they're trying to sort of homage that, but they're doing it with CG. And unfortunately, what the end result is is it just looks like a lot of things that they were doing with CG at the time.
2: No, you're right. I mean there's a, there's thought and purpose behind it and an homage to it is, is great because yeah, it does get they do get pretty crazy at the end of the original also, but I just it's just the look I don't like. And I just, yeah. I, I can't, I, I'm with Ronnie. It just kind of takes me out every time where I'm just like, uh, I just wish it wasn't there.
0: It's the weakest thing about the movie. Yeah. I would agree with you. Okay, so now here's where I imagine, uh, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but I imagine things are going to start getting
1: heated. You're not going to tell me you, don't tell me you fucking like him.
0: Hold on. <laughs> In the original, Charlie seeks the help of a horror television host named peter vincent who is basically like a it's
2: roddy right, roddy mcdowell
0: right it's roddy mcdowell but the character he's, he's not christopher lee
1: but he's he, Vin- vincent price
0: yeah he's trying to be a vincent price or like a peter cushing type of character well that's why
2: his character is peter vincent because it's peter cushing and vincent price
0: right exactly and you know but he's supposed to be like a failure version of that like so that he's that he, you know, didn't succeed where those guys did, and so he's he has to be this television host for a TV uh, Fright Night show, which is where the mo- movie gets its name, Fright Night. Um, now, there's no arguing with the fact that like Roddy McDowell's amazing, and that. For the 1980s, that idea was perfect. Like, that's something that was still happening in the 1980s. Horror hosts were a thing. You know, we had Elvira, we had all sorts of people. So, I mean, yeah, that's a perfect sort of character to be in that movie. And this movie does something different. It brings in, because we're in Las Vegas, instead of a TV fright show host, we have a illusionist who works in the las vegas hotels named peter vincent and the gimmick to his sort of show is that he bases it on like vampires and stuff like that so
1: he's clearly trying to be like chris angel
0: exactly yeah yeah it's a it's a riff on chris angel i don't know if does chris angel do this like literally does he have like vampires and stuff in his show no i feel like he just kind of tries to be goth or whatever
1: but there are like weird monster things that come out. Like when I saw him like a long time ago, there definitely were like strange demon things that dance around on stage, but I wouldn't, it's not like the whole show is based around that.
0: Right. So they're they're definitely stretching the idea a little bit to sort of include this new take on this idea where he He sells himself as an expert on vampires, and he has this ridiculous stage show where he comes out with like long hair and like eyeliner and you know vanquishes these sexy female vampires, one of whom he's dating, that's like that, like fly around the room. And sort of Charlie sneaks his way into his presence by pretending to be a journalist interviewing him. And um, T- Peter Vincent is played by former Doctor Who David Tennant. Yay. Uh, who I love, David Tennant. I loved him as Doctor Who. And I think he's a lot of fun in this movie. He's a fun character. And I understand that they had to sort of change the idea here because the reality is, is that if you made a movie for teenagers with a horror host in it they would no one would have any fucking clue as to what you were talking about because that is not a thing that exists anymore so i can sympathize with the fact that they had to adapt that that's not to say i think it's a better idea it's not a better idea but i think for a modern take on this this was maybe the best option they had to them now rodney tell me how you disagree <laughs>
1: Look, first of all, vampires aren't real, but they're in this movie, right? They still could have had a fucking TV host. There could have been like some kind of like cheesy late night Vegas, you know, like local broadcasting. He could have been like a YouTube guy who does like weird vampire videos on YouTube. I don't think it would have been a stretch for him to basically have been the same role. Having said that, like, look, I don't mind that they went with the Chris Angel thing. It's Vegas. It makes sense to use that. I don't know like why his whole show is like vampire magic. Like that's a weird, that's a fucking long two hours to sit through. You know, it's a stretch. But having said that, I cannot stand this version of Peter Vincent. He is funny because you know, David Tennant is funny, but he is in the wrong movie. And I think, I think from this point forward, the movie goes off the rails in a horrible way with some exceptions, but Uh, I'm sorry. This Peter Vincent is not my Peter Vincent. I can see this character maybe not working for you, but I don't. I think that he's he's watchable. I'll say that he's watchable. Totally watchable. Let me tell you my biggest problem here. Right. And I don't want to jump ahead because I know you like to do things in order. But in the original, (laughs) as I push my glasses up again, (laughs) Peter Vincent is a coward. Right. He's a coward who, through the story, finds his bravery. He has it's a character. That's exactly what walk. happens here, too. No, it doesn't. Yes, Peter it Vincent does. doesn't change at all. Yes, he does. Oh my all right. Like in one scene toward the end. No, he changes almost in every scene. Oh no. No, this is this is horrible. You you're you've been taken over by pod people. <laughs> this is this is, this is what happens when you watch so many bad movies, Sebastian and Jen. This is oh god. <laughs> Listeners, you've got to help these people.
0: I just think you're so pissed off that this isn't the version that you want to see, that you're not seeing what's there. I mean, this is what people often do when they don't like something. When they basically don't like an idea and it's just concept, they reject everything about it that's working because they don't want to see what's working about it.
2: Rodney, why do you hate David Tennant so much?
0: That's a really
1: good question.
2: (laughs) What did he do to you? He seems like a really nice man.
1: I'm I'm not a Doctor Who guy. I've never watched – I've seen like six – Maybe six episodes of Doctor Who. I've not watched Broadchurch. David Tennant means nothing to me, All right,
2: <gasps> I just clutched Sorry. my pearls.
1: <laughs> I think Jen
0: would like to be stuck in the pool with David Tennant. Yeah,
2: you bet I would. I love David Tennant. I think he's great in this. I think it totally works. I, yes, I understand. I, I love Roddy McDowell. I love horror hosts. I mean, they are they are kind Me of still too. a thing i mean they're still um, i mean i think isn't Sven, doesn't Sven Gulli still do stuff in chicago i mean they they, yeah, they it's, it's still it's still exists. a thing for
0: middle aged nerds yeah, it's but not I mean, a thing for teenagers they do not give a flying fuck about horror hosts
2: right but so it does make sense and especially because they are uh, adjacent to the las vegas strip that they would have like this type of Character. I don't know. I, I'm I'm fine with it. I love David Tennant. David Tennant. Forever. I will
0: throw this out there. Chum in the water for Rodney to maybe <laughs> pick at. But um, <laughs> when this movie was announced, I remember hearing that Marty Noxon was involved and I was thinking, oh, my God, the Peter Vincent character in this is going to be Sarah Michelle Gellar playing, like, a Buffy type of character. Like, wouldn't it be great if, like, he went to, you know, it didn't have to be Buffy herself, but, like, went to an actress who played a vampire hunter on a TV show because he figures that she's got to know something about vampire hunting. And so you get Sarah Michelle Gellar and you, like, riff on Buffy. And then when they ended up doing this kind of thing, I was like, eh, I'm not as... I I liked my idea better than their idea.
1: I like your idea more too. It just, it just really, I don't know. It's weird. It, it's weird that he's this fucking stage magician. Who's all about vampires. And like, I, I don't I, like, I understand that Peter Vincent is also in the original. He's also like all about vampires, but it just, I don't know. It's just weird. I, I just think they did a weird thing. And if there was some other movie that was just the adventures of David Tennant as Peter Vincent, I'd go watch that because he's he is funny. It's funny to watch him like walk around, like say witty things and like make snarky remarks to his girlfriend and like have his shirt off and just be doing shots like, yeah, but he's in the wrong movie. That's my problem. He is bringing too much comedy to this performance. When I come, to, I've come to a horror movie about vampires. Why are you fucking with that? It's a horror comedy, though. It's been establishing that from the beginning.
2: It's been no. that the original is a horror comedy. It's come not on, like Roddy. you've come to
0: Martyrs and now this is
1: happening. <laughs> martyrs <laughs> it's is it's fucking been a hilarious funny
2: movie. <laughs> I
1: look, I would argue that the the original is not really a comedy. I think it has some jokes in it, but I really think they play it straight, and we could argue about that, I guess, but. Evil Ed is funny in the original, but there's not a lot of joking. Yeah,
0: I guess just everything felt like a horror comedy to me in the 80s. I mean,
1: that's because you were high all the time. Horror
0: <laughs> was just not treated very seriously in general in the 80s. I definitely don't think it's like a, a a like home run out of the park type of thing. And I definitely wouldn't if I had to pick my Peter Vincent, it would certainly be Roddy McDowell but I think it works just fine.
1: I I hate Peter Vincent's giant fucking like apartment that he lives in with like all these rows of museum artifacts of all I this love
2: like it. vampire I love it
1: too. shit. No. And, and like, I'm not going to, I'm just, I'd like to, I'm going to put a little thumbtack right here. I want to pin this part because I'm going to come back to it later and tell you my biggest complaint with the whole movie, but I don't want to jump ahead. All right. So carry well, on. I think
0: I know where you're going. Charlie goes to Peter Vincent, who is a stage magician, posing as a uh, reporter, but it quickly becomes revealed that Charlie is sort of uh, trying to get vampire information out of him. And, you know, during this whole scene, like Peter Vincent is drinking, I don't know, like
2: Midori. You know, like it's Midori. Midori. or whatever. It is Midori. Yeah.
0: His girlfriend is sort of har- harassing him. Um, she gives Charlie a tour of his penthouse and he's got this you know, trophy room full of magical artifacts, which we already know um, Rodney hates. And basically, Charlie's trying to convince him that his next door neighbor is a vampire and that he needs his help. And Peter Vincent thinks this kid is crazy and, you know, kicks him out, basically.
2: It's similar to kind of what happens in the original as well. Yes. I mean, at first, you know, it's like no one wants to hear this. I think he's just, you know, a, a crazy kid.
0: So Charlie is unable to get the help of Peter Vincent. So he sort of goes home. And he's going to take matters into his own hands. One thing that sort of happens is Jerry attacks the uh, cool teenage friends of Charlie because they're hanging out in their car outside and uh, he kills them or whatever. So we find out like Charlie's like making prepping steaks and stuff to go hunt uh, Jerry Um, And his mom's like, what are you doing? And he's just like, oh, it's just a prank that I'm going to play on Amy or whatever. And then, um, you know, Amy shows up to confront him about acting weird. I forgot to mention there was sort of a funny scene earlier where they're in high school and, you know, Charlie's distracted, you know, trying to figure out this vampire thing. And he's on a computer at school and Amy comes up to him and asks him what he's doing. And he's like, uh, looking at porn <laughs> it's like, and so she's like okay but anyway so she shows up to confront him about acting weird and then Jerry shows up to basically you know try to convince Charlie's mom that you know Char- Charlie's been harassing him and he wants to come in so they can they can talk about it basically you know trying to get his uh, an invite in but Charlie basically convinces her not to and it's kind of a I kind of like this moment because in, you know, if this was an eighties, uh, teenager movie, not that this happens, I don't know if this is even happens in the original, but it's like the parent never sticks up for the kid at this moment in like, you know, eighties movies. But in this one, she's like, all right, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't come in. So Jerry basically goes out to their yard. He digs up a gas main And basically lights a fire through the gas that like blows up a bunch of appliances in the house and sort of sets fire to the house. I don't know. I thought it was a a clever way to like get in. And then he's like, "Can't keep me out if there's no house or whatever."
2: (laughs) I appreciated that too. I I, I appreciated that he you know was trying to be smooth, trying to you know get get the parent to let him in. And I do appreciate that, you know, maybe it's because Tony Collette is also got, you know, it's kind of a more permissive mom or like she just has a different like relationship with Charlie. Yeah. That she actually does say, because he was like, you know, uh, Jerry says, he broke into my house and, you know, I wanted to talk to you about it before, you know, before I call the, you know, or I'm going to call the authorities. And I like that Tony Collette's like, you know, when she does you know believe charlie and she just says call the authorities and then we just see jerry just starting to go around the house (laughs) and everyone's like what is he doing and he's just like and he's using his like vampire strength to like more so than just being jerry like that does construction because he's like digging the fuck out of that yard and tony colette's like what is he doing to my yard it's just i mean just chunks of yard are flying up and i don't know i i just think because it also does play into who his character is he would know if he does do construction yeah. he's gonna know like where to find the underground you know utilities or whatever and do that it's it's yeah. all believable and i think it is a great way to like get around the like okay you're not gonna invite me in then we're gonna get rid of the house
1: i think this is the best part of the movie i really like this Ooh,
2: part. all right
1: i like that the mom just believes her son right And I like that. I like the whole idea of burning the house down to to get around the uh, the invite system. I I actually kind of wish this part went on longer. Like, I kind of wish there was more of them battling with, with I mean, I guess they would just stand in a burning house, but they very quickly get to their car and speed off. But this whole sequence is probably the highlight of the movie for me. I remember loving it in the theater I remember loving it when I watched it again recently. Um, So bravo here. Good good writing. And this is an improvement over the original, I think. So yeah, as Rodney
0: said, at this point, they all flee in the minivan and basically drive off and like Jerry throws like Charlie's motorbike (laughs) at them and it like smashes into the back of the minivan. But one sort of either hit or miss element of this next sequence, I think it works, but it's definitely, I could see maybe finding it a little bit much. Basically, they do a sort of one shot sequence, which, I mean, I'm sure wasn't just one shot. I'm sure they did multiple shots, but, you know, it's all sort of done in that continuous camera moving where they're in the car, they're driving off, Jerry's following them in his truck and then chasing them. And then he manages to get ahead of them and sort of make them stop in the road But then they run him over, but he's actually underneath their van, and there's a funny moment where he like jams his hand up through the <laughs> bottom of the car. Then Charlie's like, see, there's a fucked up vampire hand. Do you believe me now? And like, I mean, at this point, Tony Collette's like, this dude is a fucking psycho. But yeah. now she's like, oh my God, no, he really is a fucking vampire. It's kind of an impressive all in one shot action sequence. I think it more or less works.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it works better in 3D because it was clearly meant for that, you know, but yeah. it, it does, it there. you can see the CG in it. I don't know why this movie needs like a really long one take, right? But like, I don't, I don't mind it. it it's cool. He's like, it's like a, a cool little car chase. He's you know smashes into them. They, I like the hand coming up. I don't know if you said like, you know, he just like floors it. He like makes his mom floor it and they run him over. Yeah, and, like, that whole it's cool.
2: I, I like it too. I and you know whatever CG is happening here um, is fine with me. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. I, I really do enjoy the hand coming, the creepy hand coming up uh, through the floorboard and it's just, it's, it's a fun sequence. And, um, and then it also, you know, leads us to, um, the cameo that we get coming up.
0: Uh, well, yeah, so they, this, the, basically the chase ends and ends up with them crashing into another car. And the driver of that car is the original Jerry, uh, Chris Sarandon. He's looking pretty good, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. time time has held up well for him. Yep. And he comes up comes out of the car and he's like, What the hell are you doing? And then Jerry vamps out, it's a very CG moment. This is kind of where it really really like happens where you see the sort of CG effect that's kind of like whatever. Uh the new Jerry kills the old Jerry. And then um, Charlie tries to use the crucifix to ward off Jerry, but we have the, you know, you don't really have faith moment, which is a callback to the original Mm -hmm. and, you know, Jerry grabs the crucifix, like lights on fire. But then, what I really like is at the end of the scene, Tony Collette gets the <laughs> gets the final blow because she stabs Jerry in the back with a Century Twenty One <laughs> sign.
2: Her real estate <laughs> like using sign. the
0: bottom of it as a stake. Yes. Um, although she doesn't kill him, she misses the heart. Which you know, at one point Jerry explains, you really got to hit the heart or else it's it's no good. But it, it's enough to sort of get. Uh, Jerry off their back and he runs off in pain and then they take Chris Sarandon's car and drive off although mom at this point I think faints and just like hits her head or something and so this is just how they get Tony Collette out of the movie they don't want to deal with her anymore I guess in the movie so she hits her head and they take her to the hospital and just leave her there. It's pretty weak. It just seems like we need to get her out of the movie. We don't know what to do with her character. So,
2: well, I mean, they did, you know, their car was stalled in the road and it's like it had a tail light out. So that's why Chris Sarandon's like Beamer or whatever it was like ran into them and hit them so hard that all the airbags deployed so right she could have she, i mean it is yes it's totally like a cheat to kind of like we don't yes we don't know what to do with tony collette right now so she's gonna be in the hospital for a while it could have i mean it definitely could have happened because they got they got hit really hard
0: and like what charlie while they're leaving charlie runs over jerry again and or he like hits a
1: car and it falls on him or he, something he, like that
2: he pushes that it's the minivan like he, the minivan, yeah. The yeah, minivan yeah. rolls over onto to Jerry.
1: They, after mom goes in the hospital, they like put up all these crucifixes like in her hospital room. Yeah. And like he tells the nurse, like, she's really mom religious. Mom is religious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I thought that was a funny joke.
2: Yeah.
0: In the hospital, there's a nice scene where Charlie convinces, uh, where Charlie confesses to Amy how he feels guilt about like dumping Ed and, you know, how he's become a cool guy now and he's, you know, feels guilty about sort of leaving his past behind. And, you know, she says that everybody changed and that she, you know, she liked him even though she knew that he was a dweeb. So he didn't really need to pretend like he was never a dweeb. Peter Vincent is like looking at the pictures that, uh, that Charlie left with him and he sees the picture of the, the tapestry that has the insignia on it and it reminds him of something of his past. So now he's sort of more inclined to help. He, he calls them um, and then he explains to uh, Charlie what the insignia is. And this is something that had flown over my head every time I watched this movie. It was only this time that I even like put this all together. But it's like this is the insignia of a vicious tribe of vampires who, as we said earlier, keep their victims alive to snack on. And Peter Vincent has had an experience with these vampires in his past, which will be more to be revealed there. But while this is going on, there is a ring at the door and it is uh, Ed, Evil Ed is back and disguised as a package delivery guy. And he gets into the house and kills Peter's girlfriend. And then P- Peter runs into his panic room. He's got a panic room in his, his loft apartment or whatever, in his penthouse. And the the panic room closes on Ed as he's trying to grasp him. And Ed loses an arm. So we have this whole sort of scene where evil Ed confronts Charlie and Amy, but without an arm.
2: Ronnie is going to hate this i i'm the whole time just going the wrath of rodney here we go
1: spot on jen i <laughs> i fucking hate this this part of the movie should be deleted and just make the movie shorter this is everything about this is painful to me but especially Evil Ed in his like DHL delivery <laughs> outfit with uh-huh. his black contact lenses. He's like trying to be scary, but all I see is McLovin and he's like uh-huh. got this lisp and he's like and he's like making jokes and it's just and there's all this fucking stupid CG. I'm sorry, there's there is nothing good here. Nothing.
0: Uh yeah. I mean it's definitely not the the best part of the movie.
1: Oh, this is so bad. It's so bad. The the, the only cool part is when Imogen poots like she shoots Colin Farrell with like a silver bullet and he pulls out and he's like that's for werewolves yeah and I'm like alright yeah that's kind of cool and
2: then she smashes the, the one of the other displays that has a goblet and then she throws it at him and she was like it was holy water or whatever and he's like was, yeah uh, forbid, this is for vampires, vampires. yeah like but
1: like too. even from where she's like how does she even know there's liquid in the cup it's taller than her And like, why would she assume that's holy water? Like, it's so fucking forced and dumb. I'm sorry, it's dumb. And then Evil Ed and uh, Charlie roll around on the floor, punching each other. And like, here's the problem. You've shown me that vampires can like rip pipes out of the lawn. They can like hit Charlie and he flies against the fucking car. So why is this even like a close call? He's a fucking vampire. He doesn't need, he could just rip him apart. It's so dumb. Yeah, but he's an insecure vampire. <laughs> oh, he's yeah. He's still coming into his own. You're right. Um, yeah. honestly, when Christopher Mintz Place or Place, however you say it, when he walks in every time I watch this movie, I go, Oh wait, that character is still in the movie. He has been gone for so fucking long. It's so poorly paced. Fuck this part. I'm sorry. And now I have to point out the other thing that the thumbtack I wanted to come back to. I I
2: know what this thumbtack is. I know what it is. This is is
1: the worst piece of writing out of any movie. I think that's ever been on your show, Sebastian. Okay. Uh, That's not true, (laughs) but whatever. Go ahead. It absolutely is. (laughs) Charlie goes to Peter Vincent and says, yo, I think my neighbor is a vampire. I have proof. And Peter Vincent says, you're a fucking crazy loon! Get out of here! And then later, it is revealed that Peter Vincent saw vampires murder his family when he was a kid, and he has grown up obsessed with vampires, knowing they're real, and has collected all this vampire memorabilia. So when a kid shows up and says a vampire lives next door, why wouldn't he believe him? I think he does believe him. He doesn't I think he believe doesn't him. He doesn't want to help him. Oh my god! He's you're, trying to, you're trying as to an make an excuse. A oh my no, god he's
0: using it as an excuse because he's afraid he doesn't want to help him no no he does I buy believe that for a him. second
1: he doesn't believe him yeah, of course no. he
0: does he's he's seen vampires
1: himself no because later you see him look at the picture and he holds it up next to this drawing he has and he has this moment he goes oh my god the kid was right it really is the vampire He doesn't clan. say that i know he doesn't say it that's it, what it's, he looks it's what at the it's, picture it's, if you turn on the subtitles that's what he's thinking <laughs> <laughs>
2: i think no i i think he does believe in vampires i think when he sees the picture later and it's the insignia that he has the picture of and and it's because it's the type of vampire that it is i think that's what he feels like he has to help. I, I'm
1: sorry. It's not just that he believes in vampires, quote unquote. He has made his entire life about vampires. He, he even says later he's been like actively trying to find the one that killed his family. Am right. But that
0: doesn't mean he's going to help every kid that comes to him and says there's a vampire next door. And plus he's afraid of them. So uh, he doesn't want to help them.
1: Okay, fine, fine. I told you I, I didn't well, like I
0: will part. give you the Ed fight is pretty...
1: It's pretty it's lame. It's so yeah. weak sauce, bro. I'll give
0: you that one. That point you
1: definitely get. Compare that to the original, where Evil Ed gets, like, staked through the heart, and he turns into the fucking wolf, or reverse wolf, rather. And he's, yeah. like, in a in a quivering, gooey puddle on the yeah. floor, transforming. And it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in a horror movie. And then I get... In this, I get Christopher mintz Place with black contacts and he gets stabbed and gets turned into a CG cloud of smoke. Oh my God, fuck off. Why are you wasting my time?
0: But one thing I do like better about this version, though, is that like the conflict is between Ed and Charlie. And in the original, the conflict isn't even between Ed just attacks Peter Vincent. Like, yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great scene and there's great practical effects and everything in it but it's meaningless because you have a character two characters fighting who have no relationship like there's no emotional content to it it's just evil ed showing up at peter vincent's house why why is he even going to peter vincent why does evil ed care about peter vincent
1: no evil ed is at charlie's house and peter vincent goes there Is that what
0: happens? There's two scenes with Evil Ed and Peter Vincent. I don't understand why in that movie the conflict is between Evil Ed and Peter Vincent. That doesn't make sense. The conflict should be between Evil Ed and Charlie. And that's one thing this movie gets right. I'll admit everything else about it is not good.
1: You know who agreed with you? The writer Marty Noxon of hit film Fright Night 2011. (laughs) Clearly she knocked it out of the park. You're totally right. She she made a change and it was for the best. <laughs> right. But
0: I wouldn't put the, the fact that this doesn't work that great. I wouldn't put it on the writing. I would put it on the performance. And yeah, I think Christopher Mintz plots is just, he's trying too hard to be scary and he's not pulling it off. And that's the other big problem is that they're trying to do too much with like people flipping around and him not having an arm and. They're trying to do too much with CG and that's hurting it too. So there's two things wrong with it. But I do think emotionally it's the right conflict.
1: I see your point. I just, I don't care that like Charlie is having a fight with his old best friend who like he's too cool for now. Like this is not the movie I'm here to see. That's a different movie. I just want to see him fight vampires and shit. And like dude, the, the execution of the scene is, is, it's painful to me. It hurts my very soul.
2: <laughs> is this the scene too where because i'm i know that rodney must have cringed big time because we do get i think this is when evil ed says the iconic like oh you're so cool brewster i think does he say it here
1: yeah i'm pretty sure he says it here yeah.
0: right but i like it here it's i like it here i think it's well
1: placed
2: i it's fine i i'm just saying i think rodney died a little more inside when he sure. heard that Yeah,
1: I mean, like, look, I get it. Like, that's the famous line. Okay, they put it in the movie. He says the line, right? Like, I certainly didn't, like, sort of plotting in the theater and go, oh, my God, he said the line.
0: Okay, again, though, in the original movie, he says it when... Charlie gets like a sloppy Joe thrown in his face.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: he says, Oh, you're so cool, Bruce Brewster. Like it's just like a throwaway nothing line. But here when he says it, he's like being like, Fuck you, you're so cool, Brewster. Like, I don't know. I think it has way more like
2: weight impact and
0: weight to it here. Whereas in the original, it's just a thing he says. It doesn't mean anything.
1: The, the problem straight up is that I don't like half the cast of this movie, okay? And if I don't like half the cast, it's hard to care about half. No,
0: you sc- don't like one of the people.
1: I don't like Mince Platze, and I don't like Peter Vincent. That's that's two of the big You're characters. You're crazy here. for not liking Peter. Why
2: Vincent? do you hate and, David and Tennant and so much?
1: After
0: this scene, we get a we get a replay of in the original there's a scene where um where Charlie and Amy escape into a nightclub Mm -hmm. which they just run into a nightclub off the street which makes no fucking sense because they're just first of all they're supposed to be in a suburb but now they're in like downtown LA (laughs) and they just like run into a teenagers just run into a nightclub that just lets them in and the Jerry stalks them in the nightclub makes no sense in this movie. The club is in the hotel, which they're already in. So it makes way more sense that they just end up running into this like dance club. And then the the scene, I think it's a really good scene where basically uh, they get separated in the dance club because it's crazy. Jerry seduces uh, Amy and like Charlie can't get to her because he's being like, you know, held back by people. And he does this thing where he makes her like he cuts his finger or something and then kisses her so mm-hmm. she's sort of drinking his blood. And I know it's it's kind of a hot scene. Maybe it's just cause I feel strongly about Colin Farrell or whatever, but like this is a much sexier scene in my opinion than the one in the original. Although I do love the original, the music in the original. It's yeah. got that music, which is fun. But like, I didn't buy the scene at all in the original, whereas this scene I totally buy. Now tell me I'm wrong, Rodney.
1: It doesn't have to be like that, Sebastian. I'll tell you you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. This scene is good. The, the nightclub scene in this is good. I think I prefer almost everything about the first one in every category. Uh, so I really like... The music in that original, the way Jerry Dandridge is like, like hypnotizing, um, whatever her, the actress's name is, but Amy, right? Amanda Beers. Thank you. It, this one, it works and it, it is hot when he seduces Imogen P- Poots or whatever. I do miss the fact that in the first one, he like slaughters a bodyguard, you know, he like damps yeah. out and cuts a dude's throat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, whatever, I, I can leave it.
0: I just felt it made way more logical sense here than in the original.
1: I don't know what kind of small town you grew up in, but mine right next to the barbershop and between the barbershop and the general store, there was a (laughs) nightclub.
0: Yeah. A a suburban nightclub where people are really like getting down. Yeah. uh, It was popular. Like a school night.
2: It's a very, (laughs) very sexy nightclub in, in every good small town that's proper zoning.
1: yeah (laughs) it's a necessity
2: (laughs) no i i like i like the scene too i think it does make i i I love it in the original as as well um i was glad that they they had a similar thing and it does make sense that they're already in the hotel so they just come down into the kitchen and they go out and i like that, that that the way the way they get separated i think is totally legit and i like that um, because Anson Yelich and Charlie looks like a baby, of course he's like stopped yeah. by the, the bouncer or whatever is like, how'd she get in here? Where's your ID? And he's like, no, he's hurting her or whatever. And it's like, you look over at, you know, Jerry and Amy and they're just look like they're macking out, you know, it doesn't look sinister at all. He's like, and the, the bouncer's like, uh, whatever he's doing to her, she looked like she's enjoying it, you know? And, and, and I liked the, um, he, yeah, he cuts his thumb and puts it on his lips. And so then he like kisses her and, and by her getting some of his blood, it's like, she's like entranced and horny for Jerry.
0: As am I.
2: Yes. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're very horny for Jerry.
0: But I mean, this is great because now there's a real personal Thing in it for Charlie, and so he goes back to uh, Peter Vincent, who's getting ready to skip town or something, comes to him again to help for help, and Peter Vincent again refuses him, but he reveals the backstory that his both of his parents were killed by a vampire. I wonder who that vampire will be. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, a little clunky, not my favorite thing about the movie, but fine, fine, fine. But he does give Charlie this steak blessed by saint michael that will not only kill jerry but then it'll convert all his victims back to into being humans Uh so you know this is gives him (laughs) this gives charlie a way to save amy now before you criticize this rodney (laughs) i just want to say that the idea of killing the head vampire saving everyone else is not new to this movie that is a thing that we see in other movies so I give it a pass here.
1: I'm not criticizing that. That's in the original, right? That's fine. I think it's really stupid that he's like, this magic steak was blessed by St. Peter himself. At like, one, why do you fucking have this, right? Two. Because he collects those things. Yeah, I know. But like. On
0: eBay, he says.
1: Yeah, I get it. It's just like a step that's unnecessary because any piece of uh, any wooden steak will do it. Like. Why does it have to be this magic thing? He's not really helping out. He might as well just hand him a fucking chair leg and be like, here you go. Like, it just doesn't add anything to it. You know, what's a better version. Like if earlier in the scene or earlier in the film, if they actually just staked him through the heart with the fucking sign and he's like, I got you motherfucker. And then he didn't die. And you're like, wait, a stake through the heart doesn't work. And then you find out you have to have this special holy thing. But right. instead, I-, I don't know. Like Why? Like, what's the point of collecting all this shit if you have no intention of using it ever?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, I think he would like to use it, but he's just a chicken shit. Like he's, you know, he needs to find his courage. That's his, like the original Peter Vincent, that's the point of this character is that he's got to learn to, you know, step up and be a, a real vampire killer. But I will agree with you that, yeah, why do we need a St. Michael's stake? It could just be like, oh, you kill the head vampire, you free everybody.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like someone wrote it in there I'm like, oh, won't this be clever? But no, it's not clever. It's stupid.
2: Well, I think it's like they, it, it seems like they had to have a purpose to him collecting all of this memorabilia or not memorabilia. I think that's
0: really all it is
2: artifacts or whatever he's, you know, he's, he, I mean, it's, it's stated, you know, more than once. I mean, you see his place with all this shit. And then like, you know, when he's getting the delivery, he's like, Oh, I, order, I drink too much and order things off of eBay. So it's like, that's, I, I feel like they just had to, use that in some way and i agree rodney i think it's kind of an eye roll it's like why did it you know i I think that would have been actually really cool is if tony collette would have hit him in the heart with her real estate sign but he didn't die and so then it's because it is the specific type of vampire they have to have something more special or whatever to be able to kill him
1: it's it's also that like peter vincent keeps coming in and out of the movie that bothers me you know like like they have a sequence without him and they go back to him i don't know, he just feels like he's more in the original he's like there
0: he is in more of the original i think for sure
1: what i'm getting at is the pacing and editing of this film is weird to me right i just feel like there's a way to re-edit it where these things like Peter Vincent doesn't show up until like 40 minutes into this movie, maybe even longer. That's too long. Like he, he's one of the main characters. That's fucking stupid.
2: Well, we do see him actually. I mean, we, we don't meet him, but we see him. There's at the a beginning. TV
1: commercial. Yeah, that that. Yeah. I'm not going to count that.
2: Well, because that's how we see uh, Roddy McDowell, though. And the original first is like the, I think uh, Charlie is watching Fright Night or whatever his show. Yeah, yeah. First,
1: I, so. I agree. I, look, I'm not trying to be like a negative, a negative. Uh, can you say negative, Nancy? I don't know what the term is, right? A negative Rodney
2: A negative Neil.
1: <laughs> it's it's just a, like, yeah, like, look, they they remade a thing and it didn't turn out as good and they made it. It's it's pretty sloppy in a lot of parts. It's just because it's good in a couple parts. I don't know. Pe- people I, you're like the only people I know who even talk about this movie. Right. I think time has forgotten Fright Night 2011 even exists. But I'm saying time should be reminded.
2: (laughs) Fright Night 2011 hasn't been forgotten in this house, Rodney.
1: No, sirree. (laughs) But neither is like John Carter or the Wolfman. So Great
2: films.
1: (laughs) Fine films. If we were in a horror movie, you would have guests over and like you'd be drinking like tea or whatever. And someone would be like... You'd be like, I got to go use the restroom. And like the woman would turn to her boyfriend and be like, I feel like something's really wrong here. And they'd open your closet and just see all (laughs) these Blu-rays of the Wolfman and John Carter and Fright Night. And they'd be like, we got to get out of (laughs) here.
0: Now that you're done mocking my taste, Charlie basically, you know, he's got a suit up to do the final. We're moving towards our climax. So Charlie goes to a like local army surplus, gets himself like a sweet ass, crossbow and like a like this flame retardant suit because one thing that peter vincent tells him like one way he can kill the vampires to to burn it he goes to jerry's house during the day which i appreciate because i believe in the original fright night charlie has the fucking great fucking idea to go fight the vampire at night which is stupid or does he do it
1: during the day no they go at night but it's because they took amy and he's got to save her
0: stupid just wait till the morning
1: <laughs> no because in the i'm pretty sure in the original it's like she's turning but it hasn't completed yet so if he can save her during that night it will revert okay which is a big difference here right because the whole point is in the original if he were to wait three days and kill jerry dandridge amy would remain a vampire in this right. movie they're implying it doesn't really matter when you kill jerry dandridge but everyone will just turn in normal humans again sure yeah but yeah it is smart to go during the day i'm you're totally right that's That's wise.
0: So Charlie breaks into the house and, you know, he's smashing all the the blacked out windows. And that's when Vincent shows up. Vincent has decided, Peter Vincent has decided to help out Charlie. And he's, you know, wearing like a long leather coat and he opens it up and he's, you know, got all sorts of weapons and stuff. And he's like, let's go kill something. (laughs) And so... They go into the the basement, which is, you know, obviously not a good place to go. But then, like, Jerry attacks them from the ceiling and, you know, they – separates them, basically. So that, like, Jerry's squaring off against Peter Vincent and Charlie is off in this other room where he's found Amy, who is now a vampire. And she's sort of, like, you know, crawling all over him, like, horny vampire style, trying to get to him And then uh, Jerry is basically confirming to Peter Vincent that he was the vampire that killed his parents. Eh, You know, it's definitely not my favorite part of the movie that that (laughs) Jerry killed Vincent's parents. It's a little too clean.
1: Whenever we get to something that's really stupid on this show, Sebastian never says that. He just goes, yeah, this isn't really the best part of the movie.
0: Well, I mean, it's not really stupid. It's like really Why is it stupid. really stupid? <laughs> you say things are really stupid, but you don't give any reason for it. You just say it's really stupid as if empirically you're claiming of it being stupid, that there can be no questioning that it's stupid. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you... Uh, yeah, you... See. Like, I'm saying it's not that stupid. <laughs> the vampire that killed Peter Vincent's parents is this vampire, and he's been traveling around the it's world. It's not my favorite thing. And now he's come to Vegas, where Peter Vincent is a big vampire-slaying performer, and they just happen to all come to a head. Oh, my God. It's
0: convenient. <laughs> There's a difference between convenient and stupid, in The my best
1: mind. screenplays
0: are... Full of convenience. Everyone knows that. Well, everything's full of convenience though. <laughs> Star Wars is full of convenience. Why does Luke Skywalker just happen to live next to friggin' Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like because you
1: know. Obi-Wan Kenobi knows him and he's keeping an eye on him. He's protecting him from afar
0: right it, and the planet where his father came from that was a brilliant place to hide him the same planet that his father lived on
1: last place you'd ever look <laughs> you, know,
0: you pick any movie that you love including the original fright night and i can find a million conveniences and crap that's just the way movies work i just why is I this just like so much more stupid than anything else
1: Just like watching you get worked up. But you have to
0: explain to me why.
1: Okay, I will explain to you why. Here's why it's stupid, all right? Because by making Jerry Dandridge, the vampire that killed Peter Vincent's parents, right? It it is taking away from Charlie's mission. It's no longer about Charlie trying to save the day. They're trying to say, oh, shouldn't Peter Vincent get something out of this too? They're both after the same vampire, right? And so it actually makes it a weaker story.
0: I'll agree with that point. Okay. That's why that's why I don't think I like it. I guess I just wouldn't use the word stupid because I don't think it's stupid. It's they're doing it for a reason, which is what you said, to give Peter Vincent a reason to want to kill Jerry just as much. I don't need it and you don't need it.
1: You want to know how you know something's stupid if when you're watching it, you roll your eyes. And when I was in the theater and he goes that's the vampire that killed my parents. My eyes fucking rolled back. No, it's
2: exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. It's an eye roll. I don't think an eye roll and stupid are exactly the same thing. Like, I, I, it it just, an eye roll to me is like, it's convenient and maybe a little lazy. Yeah, lazy is more what it is.
1: Okay, it's convenient and lazy, but not stupid.
0: Basically, uh, like, Jerry... Summons more vampires that are buried in the basement by hitting Vincent with a pebble that causes him to bleed onto the dirt. So and then Vincent is like shooting at Jerry with his like shooting the vampires that come up with this cool stake gun he has, but it doesn't work and it jams. And then Charlie gets Amy with the magic stake, but not in the heart. Charlie saves Peter by blowing holes in the ceiling, but Peter's kind of getting attacked by vampires. So now he's going to turn into a vampire, too, if Charlie doesn't like save the day. Franco shows up as a vampire for a hot second. Not really sure why we needed him back, but I guess just because. Charlie shoots a bunch of holes in the, the ceiling, so there's enough light so that um, Jerry can't quite get to him And he's sort of, he's using Amy to taunt him to try to get him to like step into the light. He's sort of like making her lick his chest and stuff like that. And so then like the Charlie's like last basic move is, you know, he's got this flame retardant suit. So he has Vincent light him on fire and he attacks Jerry like while he's on fire which was a move I kind of liked. I thought that was a cool move.
2: I did too. I thought that actually was clever because there's no other way that he could have attacked Jerry and not gotten killed. Like he just wasn't gonna be able to stake Jerry straight up. He just he needed he needed a leg, leg up. And I also do have to say, I I do really enjoy that Jerry flicks that but the pebble at, at yeah. Peter Vincent's yeah. head. And he's just like, really a pebble, really? And there's just like this one. And that, that's the, you know, the, the, the drop of blood CG-ish drop of blood is fine for me there. It's just, it's really, I just have to reiterate, it's the, the vampire vamping out in mouths of the CG that really bothers me. But anyway, that drops. And I thought that was really a, a cool, I think this was cool that like, you know, the type of vampire he is, they do establish that they like are nesters or something like that too. They like to burrow. So yeah, that like all these, you know, vamps start coming out of the the ground. I thought, you know, because they get the 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 taste of blood or the scent of blood. Um I I, I liked that. I thought that was cool.
1: I mean, look, I know he's trying to like save his girlfriend, but like why doesn't he burn the house down? Like what's the point of going in the day if he has to go into the basement and I hate that he's like completely underarmed. Like he didn't bring any holy water, even though he now knows holy water works, right? Like he brought a crossbow. I don't know. This whole I just hate that the this movie climaxes for like twenty minutes in a dirty basement. It, I don't know. It's just visually very boring. I do like that he lights himself on fire. I'll give you that. It's cool that he like flies around with Colin Farrell smashing into the ceilings and shit. And then sure enough, there's a close up of like the most CG beating heart you've ever seen on screen. <laughs> Yeah, And he fucking stabs him in the heart. Hooray. And then like Dave Franco like sits up and he's like, well, that was weird. I'm like, what? Why the fuck? Why are you in this movie? And like, why aren't like, why can't people just be dead? You know, like, why does he have to revert to a human? Oh, Charlie Brewster got his asshole friend back. Hooray. Well, you know, Charlie saved
0: everybody. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to, wouldn't you like to save everybody, Rodney? It's
2: part of the rules, Rodney. I don't I want mean, that response. If we're going to save Amy, you know, everybody else has to come back too, including his dickhead friend.
1: The only people I can save are the people who are saved by not watching the films I warned them about on your show. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the
0: big, the big climactic ending. I mean, I think it's fine. I don't think it's the greatest ever, but. I think it works just fine. And I like that he lights himself on fire. Yeah, there's too much CG. That's a little bit of a bummer, but I, (laughs) I basically like the way all the events play out. The fact that it takes place in a grimy basement, Yeah, visually, maybe not the most exciting thing, but that makes sense for the story. That's where we are. That's where it would be. So, like, if the basement looked all crazy and cool, you'd complain about that. You'd be like, (laughs) why does the basement look like it's a freaking
1: mausoleum? (laughs) Yeah, probably. There's no winning with me. I'm a cranky fucking old man. Yeah. You know what I also hate? It looks the way it should look. I hate how he... he uses his shotgun to like blow these massive holes in the floor to like let the sunlight in. I guess it's the ceiling for him, right? That's not like, a shotgun isn't so powerful that it's got at that distance, it's gonna like rip the floor apart like a fucking rocket. At least in the original, he's just smashing windows.
0: It feels very much like the same ending to me almost.
1: The <laughs> Except he doesn't turn into a giant bat either. There's I no I missed the giant bat. Yeah. There's Definitely. no wolf. In fact if you pay attention way at the beginning with in the library scene, he's like making notes and on his notepad, he has written like vampires definitely cannot shapeshift. And I'm like, okay, like, all right, you've, you found that on the internet. It must be true. Well,
0: look, if they had tried to do that, it would have been all CG and you wouldn't have liked it anyway. So just be glad they didn't go there because (laughs) anyway, so that's the end of the movie. We get one more little scene where Charlie and Amy are going to have sex in uh, Peter Vincent's penthouse because he's letting them hang out there for some reason. And uh, (laughs) mom calls and they're going to get a new house and. And then we get the end credits to like a cool Roots Rock version of 99 Problems, which I confess to enjoying. I like that Roots Rocks version. I think it's cool.
1: I don't like the opening credits, but I dig the closing credits. I'll say that.
0: Closing credits are cool. We get sort of like uh, freeze frames with blood splattered on them of all the different characters. And it sent me out of the theater with a smile back in 2011, and it makes me smile now when I watch the movie for the fifth or sixth time so the box office for this was it was a 30 million dollar budget which for a horror movie is too much so that there's a problem right there and it only made 18 million in the states it ended up making 41 million worldwide so I mean it sort of recouped its budget but with like advertising and stuff and Worldwide grosses you don't the studios don't get as much uh, percentage of those so it it failed it was a bomb why did it fail first of all I'm going to say I think this is a good movie I don't just think oh this is a movie that I like and I'm defending it for this reason or that reason I think it's a good movie I think it's a very good remake of Fright Night from
2: 1985 I uh think it is a great remake. I like that it's set in, in Vegas, you know, and it's, you know, in this track home poltergeisty type setting. I love the cast. I love David Tennant. Uh, did I say that already enough? Um, but no, I think, I, and I, and I think, I, I just think this is one of Colin Farrell's, like, best not he's he's i mean he's such a great actor but this is this is one of his best performances as it's far as,
0: probably his most fun yeah performance.
2: he's just I, well that's what i said earlier it's like he really does like he he does he he does comedy well like understated com. you know he's just got this yes. kind of you know like wink type thing he does um he's just he's funny anyway but yeah, I, I I think there are things that are really um, great about the remake. I, as far as remakes go, I I think this is totally good. Um, I hate the CG, and I just that that's my only real qualm. I mean, look the the stuff that we brought up earlier, you know, in regards to convenience or or eye rolling or laziness, it's it's like it's whatever. It's not enough, and I, maybe it's just because. I'm not as much of a super fan as some people are, Rodney. Um, that I'm, I, and I understand that because when you are a super fan of something, which I, I do have my own things. I'm very protective, and I, I will not let things slide. So, but I, I just, you know, I love the original, but I'm, I'm not as protective of it, and um, I, I just, I think. I think this is a a worthy remake and it's enjoyable and it's fun. And I've seen it a handful of times and I enjoy it every time.
1: Like, look, being, being honest, I think as far as like specifically horror remakes go, this is one of the better ones. I think this is on the, the upper tier. It's a, it's a fun movie. It's slick. It's enjoyable. There's a lot of good here, right? I have to acknowledge that a part of me can't separate it from my love of the original. And when you love something, it's impossible to watch it and not constantly be comparing and being like, that's not as good. That's different. I don't like that. They changed that. Right. Yes. Totally. Totally. Like if, if this were, if I had never seen the original fright night or if this was just called, like my neighbor is a vampire, right? Like if I didn't know it was a, a remake, I might have totally different feelings about it, but it is a remake and I am that person. So I have to judge it based on my feelings on it. Right. And look, I've seen it three times now. Right. And, I saw it in the theaters. I watched it with my wife once and I watched it for your show. And look, I don't get bored. It, it it moves at a good pace. It's got some cool sequences in it. It's just also that it has a lot of stupid shit in it that really bugs me. And so, yeah, like, hey, good job, guys. You didn't offend me. I'm not like, I've seen some, like, it's not the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, <laughs> right? Like, no, this is like, this is like a I real I feel movie. like we've
0: prepared you for this by making you watch the Nightmare.
1: I'm glad we started with that one. So any movie we watch now, I'm like, yeah, all right. John Carter is kind of good. (laughs) Nowhere to go but up, Rodney. So like, look, if if a person hasn't seen this, you, you will probably have a good, this is like the definition of a popcorn movie, right? You're just like, you shove popcorn in your face and you're like, oh, that was fun. There were some vampires. I just think it's not as good as it could be. That's my main complaint. The question we end
0: on every time is why did this fail? And I think this movie failed because of a little movie that is mentioned in this movie called Twilight. I think Twilight happened and people fucking couldn't stand vampires. And I think vampires were just, and they still kind of are, like people aren't really making vampire movies anymore. I think Twilight killed the friggin vampire genre for like a good 10 years or more. Like I'm waiting for somebody to come up with a friggin great scary vampire movie again. But nobody dares do it because Twilight wrecked the vampire party so fucking catastrophically bad. And I honestly believe that if Twilight did not exist, this movie would have been a perfectly successful horror remake. Probably would have done the types of numbers that the Friday the 13th remake did or whatever. But I think people were like, fuck vampires. I don't want to see this shit. Like it didn't get bad reviews. You know, for a horror movie, it got fine reviews. I think people just were fucking over vampires.
2: I think that's a really good point. And I I, and I don't think I've heard of anyone ever say that they like hate the remake. Uh, you know, like if if anything, I think Rodney kind of hit it on the hit it on the head earlier that it's kind of been forgotten, and I think it's because. You're right. Like people were over vampires. I mean,
0: vampires were like really, really uncool.
2: Damn you, Twilight. (laughs) And they
0: still kind of are, honestly, you know, like it's just there. It's because of vampires, which sucks because I love vampires, but.
2: Vampires deserve better. Well,
1: like like all things, it'll they'll have their time again. They'll come back, you know, I guess you're right. Like, I can't think of any other reason. I mean, also, they spent too much money on it, right? There's yeah, no yes. need for all this CG and, and like the, Correct, the crazy yes. car chase and shit. Yeah. I mean, I think also that like most people probably are not familiar with the film Fright Night, you know. So like when you make remake Friday the 13th, people have heard of they know who Jason Voorhees right. is, right? Kids in 2011, yeah, kids in 2011. But like <laughs> they didn't know what fucking Fright Night was. You know what I mean? We're all
0: now 30 or over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm not really sure if there's any other because you're right. The reviews are pretty good, right? I, like the reviews didn't come out and they were like, oh man, you got to see Fright Night. They're like, Hey, Fright Night's a pretty good time. You know, right. They don't say that about the nun and the nun made like a hundred million. You know what I mean? So it's gotta be the vampire thing. It's gotta just be like, you know, like anytime there's like a really big idea, Hollywood starts churning out as much of it as possible. And unfortunately somewhere on that train, there was a car where the money stops. Right. And you, yeah, there are a bunch of vampire movies and some of them were successful, but this probably was one of the, the cars where it was just like, no, I've now had enough. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to go put on my Squid Man costume and uh, tie a Stretch Armstrong around my balls and <laughs> fight some vampires.
1: <laughs> I can't talk that. All right. Fun
2: thanks fun. thanks fun. for having
1: me.
0: That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoltrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.